0: Eternal God, we bless you and we praise you because you have named us beloved sons and daughters and your Holy Spirit empowers and strengthens us. So Lord, we do also lift your name up this day. We exalt you and we open ourselves up to the insight that you might bring. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before you are seated, would you recite with me the Shema, It is tradition in this congregation that we recite the Shema every week because it was also Jesus' tradition to recite the Shema several times a day. So we we will recite the Shema before uh, we hear the scripture. Let's recite it together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks, have a seat. Thank you. So I don't know how Thanksgiving went down at your house, but here's how it went down at my house. We went to my parents' home for Thanksgiving lunch on Thursday. Thanksgiving lunch was served about two o'clock in the afternoon. We have the same thing every year when my family gathers for Thanksgiving dinner. It's a menu that uh, my grandmother used to serve. So, that same menu, my mom now prepares. If you were to walk into our dining room on Thanksgiving Day at 2 o'clock and get a glimpse at the table, you would completely recognize what we're doing because it's a very traditional menu. We have turkey, we have dressing. There are rolls, there are potatoes, there's even a green bean casserole, and this year we had a choice of eight different pies. It looks like Thanksgiving there. Preparations for Thanksgiving meal in the Smith household start several days ahead of time. So my mom makes assignments, and those of us who have assignments then go to the grocery store, and then the cooking starts at her house about 24 hours ahead of time. So two things that I want you to remember from my Thanksgiving dinner table that may also be true about your Thanksgiving dinner table. As we look at the scripture passage this morning, remember these two things. One, the occasion is obvious. You can't miss it. And the second thing I want you to remember from Thanksgiving is that preparations need to be made. Preparations have to be made for this great feast. Okay, our scripture passage for today is from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to start with verse 36 and read through 44. Jesus said to his followers, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. And two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Early in this particular chapter of Matthew, in just the first few verses, the disciples turn to Jesus and they ask him this question. What will the sign be? How will we know? And really, this simple question that the disciples ask Jesus is a two-part question. They are asking two different things of Jesus. The first thing that they want to know is, Jesus, what's going to be the sign when your kingship is revealed? When will you appear as the Messiah? And then the second part to that question Is what will be the sign of the end of the age? The sign that the kingdom has come. Now I think it's safe to assume that the disciples were just as self-centered as we are. And that really makes reading the gospels uh, safe and enjoyable. Because we understand the disciples. So they were probably thinking when they asked Jesus this question, what will be the sign? They're probably thinking that the revelations are going to happen in their lifetime, like they're going to see it all. But we read Jesus's words differently in this 24th chapter of Matthew because we have the perspective of 2000 years. We get the perspective of what my New Testament professor, Luke Johnson, called the already and the not yet. So. We see the revelation that happened in the first century that the disciples were witness to. We see the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus is this new kind of king. And the reordering of the priorities of God's people, which included the idea that god where does God dwell? Not in the temple, but God dwells with us. And the fulfillment of the Torah, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah. That's the already. We get that. And then we also uh, have a perspective on the not yet. The not yet is the time when God will come com- to complete unfinished business here on earth. It's the time when God's kingdom has fully come. So the reassurance that I want you to hear this morning in this chapter of Matthew is that what Jesus tells the disciples about their two-part question, when will it happen? He tells them, you're not going to miss it. It will be obvious to you. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew, right before the text that I read to you, he gives them three word pictures of how they're not going to miss it. How obvious it will be to them. The first thing that he says is, "It's going to be like a fig tree. A fig tree that sprouts leaves tells you that summer is near. Now, while that might not be so obvious to us, it was obvious to those who lived in the first century in the Middle East because the fig tree was one of the few trees that was not an evergreen tree in that area. So people looked for the fig tree, and when the fig tree began to sprout leaves, they knew, oh, this is spring. Summer's around the corner. That was an obvious sign to them. The second word picture that Jesus gives to his disciples is he says, it will be as obvious as vultures gathering in the sky. Now, I saw that this week. And when I saw the vultures flying, I didn't think, I wonder what's going on. I knew. When you see vultures circling in the sky, you know what's going on. You know why they're circling. That's an obvious sign. And so Jesus tells his disciples, you're not going to miss this. And, but then he gives them still a third word picture. And he tells them it's going to be like lightning. It will be like lightning that comes from the east and is visible in the west. So lightning that lights up the entire sky. You can't miss it. It will be obvious. You're going to see what God is doing in the already and in the not yet. If Jesus was speaking to us this week, I think that he would say missing the end of the age would be like missing a chance to shop on Black Friday. You know, you didn't you knew it was there, right? You knew it was coming. No one who wanted to shop on Black Friday missed the sales. There were endless ads on television. I had endless emails and opportunities to shop on different websites. We all knew When it was happening, we couldn't miss it. God's decisive work in our world is obvious. So the first thing I want you to hear about this scripture passage is that Jesus is reassuring his disciples. He tells them, you're going to get it. You're not going to be clueless about this. But there are a couple of things that he wants them to keep on their toes about. There are a couple of things that might be surprising The first thing that might be surprising to them is that the true identity of people might be surprising. Did you catch this in the scripture passage? Jesus talks about Noah's Ark. He refers back to Noah's Ark. And immediately following that, he talks about two sets of two people. He says there might be two men uh, who are working and one will be taken and one will be left. And two women who are grinding meal, and one will be taken, and one will be left. So I I immediately think of, oh, two elephants, two giraffes, two hippos. They're the same, right? But what Jesus wants his disciples to recognize is while they look the same, they look like the same, they're not the same. There is something about them that is significant that God sees that we don't see, that we miss. And the second thing that Jesus tells them might be surprising to them is that this coming of the end of the age, the coming of the Son of Man at the end of the age, will be instantaneous. Like, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be an immediate fulfillment. So, I have um, a child in college, and having a child in college is reminding me what it was like to be in college Especially this week, I thought about what it was like to live in an apartment with some friends and have a parent's visit. So our parents all lived out of town. Our parents lived a few hours away, so when they were coming, we knew they were coming. We had some advanced warning, and there was a routine that we went through. You probably know the routine. We cleaned the dishes that were stacked in the sink. We scrubbed the bathtub and the toilet. We vacuumed the floor, and we put our textbooks out on the table. We usually had a few hours or a day or two to get things cleaned up. What the text says is you don't get an advanced warning. You don't get an advanced warning here. There's a knock at the door, and how it is is how it is. So I think the take-home message for the day is to be ready. Stay alert. Let me be the first to tell you that there is a right way and a wrong way to be alert and to be ready. The wrong way is to worry. And I know this because I have firsthand experience in worrying. I know how to do this. That's the wrong way to be alert. That's not what Jesus is asking of his disciples. There's a big difference between being anxious and afraid, and diligently doing the work of preparation. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do, to be diligent, to just walk this out, to try on their faith every day. It's a real shame to me that this text in Matthew 24 is, has been used and is often used to scare people. Have you ever heard it? There will be some who will be left behind if they don't believe the right thing. That idea has been very popular, and it's made millions of dollars in books and movies. However, from what I can tell, there's a fundamental flaw in this line of thought when reading the 24th chapter of Matthew. Jesus isn't talking to his disciples about what they think or what they believe. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what they do. There's a parable that immediately follows this passage of scripture. And the parable is about the good and the wicked servant. Both are put in charge of a household to take care of the other servants by the master. And then the master leaves the household. The wise servant gives food to the other servants at the proper time and does what the master asks him to do. But the foolish servant, the foolish servant is out for himself. He eats the food. He abuses the other servants. The text even says he has too much to drink. He's out for himself and he's abusive. One of my favorite lines about the troubles of the modern church goes something like this. The theology of the 20th century church developed in such a way that a person could have the worst character possible and still believe the right thing so that they would get into the good place. That became burdensome for the church. I run in these circles of right belief, and so let me be the first to tell you that there are some foolish servants among us. They surprise me every time because they look the same. They are like those twins going into the ark, but their hearts are different. Their hand might be to the plow, but they aren't doing what the master asked. They're not taking care of the other servants. They instead are very self-serving and out for themselves. It's important for us to be mindful of serving others, which really, I believe, requires transformation from all of us. It's easy for me to be self-serving. I get that. I can do that well. And so what I believe Jesus is asking his disciples to do is to be mindful of the other people. Be mindful of where God is calling you. Be intentional about living your faith. There's a series of books called the Apprentice Series up here on the front on the altar table. There are three different books. And in these books, James Bryan Smith offers a model for discipleship transformation that I like very much he says that there are three pieces of our lives that work together to bring transformation to the faithful to bring life change to the Christian and engaging in any one of these three components is going to grow you as a disciple So my challenge to you this morning as we enter into Advent season is to pick one of these three areas of your life for the next four weeks and focus on one of these three areas until Christmas. Think of this as your Advent work. The first area of your life that James Bryan Smith says it's important to be mindful of is story or narrative So this is a call to be attentive to the stories that you tell yourself about how the world works, how the world around you works. In our home this week, my children were trying to recall how the story of the three bears went. They said, what was it that Goldilocks was after? They couldn't remember. Now, really, if you can't remember what Goldilocks wants from the three bears, then you can't much get the point of the story. And you can't recognize any reference that someone makes to porridge or to being in a chair that's just right. You have to know the story to get the references to the story. This is fundamental to being a disciple. The followers of Christ need to know the gospel story. So that we recognize references to it. And so we are living out the story in our own lives. For most of Advent, our sermons are going to be on the Gospel of Matthew. So one of the ways that you could engage this particular aspect of discipleship would be to read the Gospel of Matthew during the four weeks that are ahead of us. But Jesus' words, they didn't come out of nowhere. Jesus Jesus, when he taught, and Paul, when he wrote about his experience of transformation as a follower of Christ, they both referred to the Hebrew Bible. So you could, instead of reading the Gospel of Matthew, you could pick an Old Testament book, and that would help you as you came to worship and heard sermons on the Gospel of Matthew. You could pick Isaiah, or you could pick Exodus, and if you read through either one of those books, That would be a way of getting the story into you so that you get more out of the gospel story as you hear it during Advent. Another place that you could do the work of Advent is in the area of your life that I'm going to call community. Community is about relationships. Community is about how we are related to one another. A friend uh, sent me an article this week that claims that because of the age that we live in, for the most part, we all cultivate and live in what he called an echo chamber. So this means that we amplify and we reinforce our own beliefs by hearing only what we believe from people who agree with us and we censor or we delete those people who disagree with us. We do it in our circle of friends. We do it in our families. We even do it in our involvement on social media. So the article claims that what you need, since we live in a world that cultivates these echo chambers, what you need as a good, faithful Christian is you need an echo buster. You need someone who disagrees with you that you still respect. People who call us out when we are really comfortable with our own lot in life as the smartest person in the room. That's what you need, an echo buster. For me, I believe that this is the great hope for the church, and it is especially a good hope for a large church like Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, because we're not all going to agree with one another on different aspects of our faith. So it, when we stay in relationship and community with people who have a different point of view, it can't—it it only helps us. It can't hurt us. A while back, I was watching a show with uh, my kids called Brain Games on TV. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but it, it, it kind of puts forth different puzzles and sees if you can figure out as you're watching the show what, how to resolve the puzzle. And the particular puzzle on that day was count the number of gumballs in the gumball machine. And the guy who was running the brain game, he uh, brought 20 people in to look at the gumball machine and to tell him how many gumballs were in the gumball machine. And then he wrote down the numbers on a whiteboard behind him. The numbers ranged from 300, one person guessed 300, to 2,500 In a group of 20 people, the numbers ranged from 300 to 2,500. And then this little kid who was probably maybe in fourth or fifth grade came in with a calculator, and he looked at the whiteboard, and he started punching numbers, and I thought, who's this whiz kid, and what formula does he know that's going to figure out the number of gumballs in the gumball machine? You know what he did? He did a simple average. He averaged the 20 numbers together. And he came within 20 of the actual numbers of gumballs in the gumball machine. It reminded me that so often I need the perspective of other people in the community. I am rarely exactly right. I often claim to be exactly right. Sometimes I'm a little off. Sometimes I'm a lot off. But I need to participate in the average, and I need you to participate in the average as well. That's the value or the importance of community. So here's what you could do for Advent if you wanted to work in this particular area. Community as a disciple. You could have lunch with a different friend from uh, New Heights or from the broader Alamo Heights United Methodist Church every week for the next four weeks. Or you could say, I'm going to have a coffee group with a couple of other friends for the next four weeks during Advent. Or you could, this would be the most challenging Cultivate a friendship with someone who is an echo buster. That's how you could work in community. Now, one last sphere of discipleship. The last sphere of discipleship is just practice, which is those things that are traditionally called by the church, the disciplines of the church. So these are places in our lives that we set aside as a space to be available to God. There's a list that James Bryan Smith gives of these disciplines or practices in these books because at the end of every chapter in this book he lists a practice so I here is the list for you here are things that you could take on as a practice of the faith you could take on sleep take on sleep instead of taking it on an echo buster if you took on the discipline of sleep you might say hey once a week I'm going to sleep and rest as long as my body needs it And I'll give you credit for that. You could do Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is praying the scripture repetitively. You could do solitude, which is spending time alone. You could do play. You could say once a week, I'm going to engage in some kind of play that's just cutting loose and having fun. I'm going to do that. I'm taking that on. You could take on Sabbath, setting aside a time of rest in the presence of God, because you know that God is in control. You don't have to be in control. You could take on fasting from television or from Facebook. You could take on a giving, or you could take on what I'm going to take on, which is that last thing, two by four. And this is a practice that the Apprentice series developed that I really like. It's a commitment to two hours with God and four acts of service. So every week I'm going to be mindful of two hours with God, four hours of service, four acts of service. Uh, I had a friend this week on Instagram that posted Thanksgiving morning outside of the Fit gym. She posted a picture and she said, here's where I'm going Thanksgiving morning to work out. And I was so impressed. And when I talked to her about it last night, she said, you know what? It was packed. There were a lot of people in the gym on Thanksgiving morning. When James Bryan Smith writes about these different practices of the church, he calls them your spiritual workout. These things could be your spiritual workout. It's like building the strength of your soul, of your spirit. So as you took on these things, you would be preparing for the feast. You'd be preparing for the coming of the Son of Man. Would you pray with me? Holy Lord, you reveal to us what we need to know when we need to know it. You desire beauty, beauty around us and beauty within us, beauty in our innermost beings. We trust you, Lord, and we seek to know you more fully. Would you make a way for each of us to grow spiritually stronger this week and this Advent season? We eagerly await your arrival because we know that it is good. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.